Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the podcast where we explore how science and religion can coexist, because they can, and what they can produce together if we let them, because your third millennium will be a whole lot brighter if you do. Your hosts are Bill Schmidt and me, Paul Geesting. Welcome back to Episode 56 of That's So Second Millennium. This is the second half of our interview with Darshan Arvez. In this inter- part of the interview, we're going to talk more about stuff at the uh, society level, civilization level. She doesn't actually have a lot of good to say about civilization, but it's uh, it's provocative and interesting from the perspective of the need for us to behave in an egalitarian fashion or in the simpler way in which the Christian scriptures put it, to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Most lands until 1600s or so, a little earlier in England, but in the 1600s, the wealthy people decided they were going to just take all the lands. For that, wherever you were born, that's where the land you got your food from. Uh, you went in the forest and got mushrooms when you're hungry, or berries, or uh, hunted an animal. And then the wealthy came in and stole the commons, essentially. Uh, it happened in, in England first, but then across Europe, and you've got all these displaced people. Carl Polanyi, with a K, uh, to, called this the Great Transformation. It was the robbing of the poor by the rich, and so you've got displaced people. They don't know what to do, and then they, and then the, at the simultaneously, the New World, so-called New World, was discovered, and so they all came over here, dislocated. Uh, kind of, he, he calls them kind of a rabble. They they don't have a, a good sense of uh, self-esteem, and they don't have good uh, self-regulation, and they're really. Just what we'd say in psychology, dysregulated, and they're coming over and they're just kind of ravaging things. And uh, unfortunately, then that's the what we we see now. It's happened all over the world as neoliberalism has forced this way of being on society after society, where the wealthy take the resources and make people work for them, <laughs> essentially. Uh, so. Um, uh, it's not a surprise that we have so many dysregulated people and people that feel rootless. One thing about the Native American communities and indigenous communities around the world is they feel placeful, not rootless, that the landscape where they are is their home. They feel at home there and they know the animals and they know they get along with the predators. They know the plants. They know how to respect have reciprocal sharing relationships with all these other entities. And we think that's so weird, you know, but that's what our heritage is, is to live well with the earth as a companionship, uh, as partners, not as dominators. Right. I mean, yeah, when when the density of us is is not so high as to overwhelm the the natural environment itself. Um, So, Bill, did you have something you wanted to put in here? Well, it has to do with uh, the... The spiritual side, uh, again, uh, the, the, the need for our uh, uh, synergy with our spiritual uh, side. Um, why is there the, uh, the rejection nowadays of the institutionalized aspects of our uh, uh, nurturing of our spiritual side? And uh, in the absence of those traditions which admittedly have their human flaws and uh, should be respected in their variety and not forced on anyone but is there 
are we not finding any alternatives that are desperately needed to help us kind of um, incorporate spiritual wisdom like those that the hunter-gatherers and Native Americans uh, benefited so much from? Well, I don't think I can speak to the institutions of the church. Fair enough. No, that's fair <laughs> I'm a enough. Psychologist. Oh yes, yes. No, uh, no, no, no institutions being mentioned at, at all. Uh, it just seems as though that uh, the nuns, the rise of the nuns, uh, no, no affiliation at all. N O N E. Yeah. Basically, um, it 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 just seems as though people are. Um, turning uh, to themselves in a sense as their own defining uh, point of uh, morality and, yeah. and, and judgment. Well, this is a complex issue. I, I am reading about the early Christian church right now and how in the early years it was very much integrated with paganism and that the kind of um, personal experience and kind of democratic way of being together as a community was widespread mm-hmm. and the common way. But then when Constantine took the church over and made it institutionalized, they made it a hierarchy and they simplified it all. Uh, and you can read this in the, the early uh, forebears that they said, well, yeah, this is intended to be metaphorical, you know, like Jesus parables and other parts of the Bible are metaphorical, but no, We'll just make it all literal. And so that fits then with the way we've undermined brain development because you can't think metaphorically very well if your right hemisphere hasn't been developed well and you don't have a – you feel too vulnerable. You can't let yourself feel vulnerable or open because you've learned to be self-protective and you don't know the skills to feel safe being vulnerable or being connected spiritually wow. broader than you. And so mm-hmm. you have a, a tendency to want to just make everything simple and concrete. Yes. And spirituality itself becomes oversimplified and in a sense, overly concrete, not really receptive to the idea of mystery. Yes. And, am I right? Right. And so you, instead of, of feeling connected in a, kind of mystical, magical way, right. you just go through the rosary and, exactly. and just hold on to the beads and that's it. You just have to say it and then ho- that hocus pocus kind of yeah, thing, exactly. right? That's all you have to do. You have no feeling for it. You just go through the motions of it. Yeah. So that's one issue. But another issue is that we are fiercely, I think, meant to be egalitarian as as a species. We develop that way, not pre-human nature is hierarchical if you look at other um, animals. Uh, But we uh, evolved, as Chris Baum has pointed out, to be egalitarian. And babies, I think, expect that. They expect their needs to be met. And so they get outraged when they're not. Because, you know, it's just what I need now. Um, And what happens, uh, maybe, maybe I'm just speculating that maybe the move away from hierarchy, hierarchical church, uh, institutions is beca- because of that. It's coming, trying to come back to what our nature is, is much more egalitarian and democratic. But um, uh, Maslow, Abraham Maslow, talked about self actualizing people. You know that term? Yes. And he describes them. I've written blogs about this. And he describes them as having a democratic character structure. 
that they are very kind of open and fluid with others and flexible and attuned, which is what I think is optimal. So I talk about optimal morality as being relationally attuned, which I call engagement, ethical engagement, and communally imaginative. So you're always aware of your bonds and the web of life that you're influencing, which is multiple layers, multiple circles of influence. And so you're always attuned to that in the actions, decisions, words you even say. Uh, And um, so this engagement also um, requires that right hemisphere development to be able to be flexible. And I'm forgetting... I forgot where I was going now. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> I was going to say something else about the change. Would, would not, not be the first time that happened on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> I got carried away in my own digressions. <laughs> and by the way, Paul, we'll just continue. Uh, uh, we'll continue, uh, and the, you'll, you'll take the editing uh, of, in, of the two separate episodes, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah I, I will do the best, do the best that I can with it. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, know I, I know you're good. I know you're good. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm adequate. I'm adequate. We, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you take it again. No, um, in terms of um, another point, another point where I will need to come in, uh, uh, edit it a little bit. Um, let's see. Gosh, again, there's every point. There's there's this belief in physics. Uh, certain people who are so desperate to retain determinism in physics uh, to try to save appearances, they they imagine that the universe splits every time a particle undergoes, you know, some kind of change. Where quantum physics says that there's a probability that it could go one way or the other. And of course, the same thing is happening with this discussion. That uh, every point uh, spawns six new questions, and it's gotten to a point where it's uh, almost. <laughs> it's almost impossible to choose at this point. Um, let's 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 go back to the original list since I, I actually gave you that, and I would I would like to give you something you at least could have prepared for a little bit. Um, is there? Uh, so we so we brought the church and and uh, development into it. Are there spiritual spe- so we're more specifically spiritual practices that can help us? Um, heal, and then also sort of false attitudes or dysfunctional spiritual practices that can impede our healing, especially from situations like what we're talking about, where you know we grow up isolated, we you know we don't have the give and take with people that we need in order to figure out how to get by as social animals, or let alone flourish as social animals. Um, what things you know in Christianity and elsewhere, or for that matter, in terms of atheism and agnosticism. Um, what, what, what things, you know, what, what bad ways of doing that are out there that, um, that you can see that have been, that have been studied that, that show clear negative results or clear counterproductive results in that uh, arena? Well, one of the things I'm looking into right now is called Wetiko, W-E-T-I-K-O. And that's a notion from uh, actually every major religion around the world has some term for this, this this term is a Native American term, but it's the um, fever of being aggressive and exploitative of, of the lives of others. And uh, it, according to several people I've been reading, it's been going on now for a few thousand years and now uh, in civilized societies where the Machiavellianism is just assumed to be normal and good, <laughs> have, you know, get yeah. yours while you can. Uh, and now it's just so infected. It's a psychic virus 
um, that's part of our collective psyche, or the collective unconscious, if you want to use that term, but somehow it's very infectious and people are uh, caught up in that and they can't see what it does is it builds false beliefs. They cannot perceive life, living matter, living the livingness of the earth, for example, and, and they can just go for their kind of gold fever um, they, they just exist in that. And I think that's really quite coming to more and more <laughs> emphasis and, and being forced on people and just being infected everywhere all over the world now with globalism. So the problem with it is that you can't fight it by fighting it the same way. You have to move into a, a, um, a mode of compassion to fight it. So you have to realize that these people are like you. So if the politician, I won't say any names, is very um, Machiavellian and cruel and um, harming uh, other people, the, you know, harming people generally or uh, is all about, you know, being on top and winning, uh, you have to, instead of fighting them with the same kind of tools, because what's happened when people have fought civilization like the Roman civilization is they've turned into the same ideology with hierarchy and dominance and exploitation of anybody not at the top. So you have to use this more compassionate orientation and come together as communities of people who emphasize and pray with compassion uh, for the well-being of, of themselves, but the community, the world, instead of that fighting attitude. So again, it goes back to an engagement kind of spirituality, a, um, a communal spirituality rather than an us against them kind of spirituality. A, uh, you know, we've got to defeat those people so that Jesus will come again and all that kind of strange talk, which <clears throat> Jesus would have been appalled <laughs> by. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah. Ironically, we can we confront the confrontational attitude with non-confrontation, with uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with the attempt to understand, and uh, yeah, yeah. With um, that's right. Love yeah. is it, mm -hmm. and and how to do that? I think we've forgotten how to do it. We have to teach ourselves, help each other. Wherever two or three of you are gathered together, there I am. Yeah, there exactly. is love, but there could also be hate. Right. So we have to remember to keep ourselves in that more tuned in, it's really egalitarian too. So you're keeping yourself from feeling superior to those people, <laughs> right? Who are so weird or dumb yeah. or whatever, foolish, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever spiritual practices you can do that promote that sense of egalitarian love, that's what we want to do. Alone, partners, families, communities, cultures, countries, you know. Yeah. So there is there is one question I want to make sure I get in before the end here. Um, I, you know, I, I can imagine a lot of potential listeners at some point during this discussion uh, sort of scratching their chin and saying, uh there's the phrase, the noble savage, and it may not be entirely appropriately applied in this situation, but the sense that 
according to the, I mean, this, this sounds very Rousseauian in terms of everything, absolutely everything about civilization is bad. And, uh, is that, I guess I want to ask a clarification question. Is there, is that the impression you would like to leave or is there, or is there something perhaps a little bit more nuanced or, uh, Another comment that 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 question might uh, per, uh, produce. Or... Well, we had a conference a couple of years ago in a book that's coming out from it in this month, in the next couple of weeks, called Indigenous Sustainable Wisdom, Integrating First Nation Know-How for Global Flourishing. So it's trying to... Uh, direct attention to the practices that we need to reintegrate into our current lives. So it's not about throwing out civilization completely, but realizing that there's a number of things that need to be altered if we're going to flourish and if our species is going to survive and if we're not going to exterminate many other species. So I think um, having that humility that I talked about, having a sense of connection to the natural world and, and being rooted in your landscape where you live and paying attention to the, the wellness of the river, of the mountain, of the trees, you know, preserving nature where you are and helping it flourish is going to help us flourish as a species, as a community of humans, uh, and having a... a a greater sense of what babies need to flourish, what children need to flourish. They, we need their full potential now in order to be able to solve the crises we've produced with this very narrow-minded intellect that we've emphasized for quite a while now in the Western world in particular and impose it everywhere. Uh, and that's not working. You can't solve the problem with the same kind of thinking, right? So uh, it's it's altering and making our institutions more human. Kind of uh, subsidiarity is really important here, where you want local control as much as possible. You want uh, to help those local units, whatever they are, families, to flourish. And that should be the central concern of society, not the corporate welfare. I mean, that's where our all our goods are going to the top and to the corporate uh, political uh, feeders, I suppose. Uh, so we've got to reorganize ourselves in a way that is much more intelligent, <laughs> uh, wise. And it's not a matter of throwing everything out, but there are some things that have to be changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the worship of the economy of scale kind of lets go of a lot of things, including... I mean, yeah, just just working with federal bureaucracies and in, in one of, in some of my old uh, occupations, and just the sort of catastrophic lack of awareness, you know. And then the same is absolutely true in a large corporation. It's it's a disease of large organizations in general that decisions are being made by people who simply are not capable of knowing what the consequences of their decisions are. They just there's no way they can possibly know. Are they morally disengaged? Uh, disengage from what they're doing. They put money first and or attention, uh, clicks or something. They put that first over human well-being because they minimize the damage they might do. So Boeing with uh, the planes and the MCAS, uh, they, you know, oh, that's not that big a deal, right? Now they're saying, oh, sorry. <laughs> 
that we caused 300 and some people to die um, because we didn't um, pay attention anyway. So, uh, yeah, so there's so many, when you have too many layers, it's easy to get more and more morally disengaged and distant. So that's where subsidiarity is Exactly right. I was thinking of that in terms of uh, communication, uh, communications media, which uh, is a subject of of interest to me. Uh, That's a classic case of the national media seeming to be completely disconnected from and morally distant from uh, the everyday life of people in communities, and ironically, things like local newspapers yeah. and things that fed community life have, have shrunken down to practically nothing in the local newspapers, etc. And uh, all we get from the national media are these pre-manufactured labels that they're feeding us and uh, us versus them kind of rhetoric. And it, it seems so. It gets people's enraged. Exactly. Well, part of it is the neoliberalism, capitalism version that we have currently. That's, That's because it's you know our fu- country was founded on rebelling against corporate control, That's the it. Boston Tea Party uh, against monopoly, right? And now we and they used to until what 1970s uh, dismantle, uh, not allow any monopolies if you got more than like five percent of the market share. And now we have companies that have 80% of the market share. And so they just suck all the resources and they don't care about local issues, right? And so we've got to break up the monopolies, which the rules changed under Reagan, apparently, the guidelines for for antitrust laws. So we got to go back to, you know, things that make us more democratic and less autocratic or oligarchic or corporatist. Right, exactly. And the corporatist thinking... Yeah. Ah, that's right. Yes. 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 Yeah. And of course, the, the, the corporate is thinking benefits from uh, the uh, overall cultural trend. Uh, uh, they, uh, the, the, the folks uh, uh, leading the economy uh, can distract us so yeah. well from oh. what they're doing yep. by pitting all of us against each other. Yeah. Right. It's, it's scary. It uh, yeah. Where and and so there's no there's no critical mass of uh, additional force. Uh, we're just uh, re- holding rally X versus rally Y on on, a, on one day and forgetting to ask the deeper questions that might unite us. It seems to me. Yeah, stressing families out so much they can't think and they don't have enough leisure time. Uh, yes. Apparently, the wealthy in the 1920s figured out that they needed to have less leisure time for the for regular people. Is that right? Because then, otherwise, they'd rebel against you know the, the tilted table up. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. so they you know, so they want to suppress wage uh, minimum wages. They want to you know make it hard to get through the day. Yeah. Then you can't organize. You can't you know be democratically engaged. So it's not just about greed. It's about power. Ultimately, yes. I guess they go together. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from the point of view of compassion, I might almost say. I mean, and then then another another side of it. I I listen to discussions like this, and I all I all do wonder sometimes. It's people aren't that. <laughs> I don't. People are smart enough and dedicated enough to maintain that kind of conspiracy over the long term but the point you made about the sort of moral isolation seems to me to be really really telling in that regard that they just they just lose sight of it 
I don't see those people. They don't live in my neighborhood. I, you know, I live in my suburb and I commute <laughs> possibly via airplane. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't uh, worry about what happens to the little black people in the ghetto. Um, that's just, you know, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And, and it's not, it's, it sounds like something, you know, if, if you bring it to my attention, I'm like, oh yeah, that's terrible. But it's, yeah, I've just isolated myself and I've, I've and I've got to. I've got to move to I've got to move to the school district so my kids will be in the right schools and et cetera. Right. And so it's not my fault. Uh, it's not what I'm doing. Right. Because every little bit is actually part of the whole problem. But it's so tiny compared to the bigger problem that you don't think your actions matter. And then someone tells you a story that it's their fault anyway. You know, and then you latch on to that story because it lets you off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's the, the power of telling stories is so important because we need to start telling stories where, where it, it winds up differently, where, where, where the outcome is different and, and our vision of what's possible changes and expands to include options we'd actually want to take. Yeah. And to realize that our well being and our flourishing actually depends on everyone else flourishing. And when we're and we've forgotten yeah. that in terms of the natural world completely, almost. And so here we are; we're about to fall off the cliff because we forgot that we're all part of this earth, and that we have to do our thing. We have to be responsible and respectful and caring about the earth and each other, or else we're not going to make it. Well, I think. Uh... We're, we're, we're right at our, our time limit here. Uh, is there any, any final words you want to put in, Bill? I don't think so. I, I basically would like to just thank Professor uh, Darshan Narvaez for uh, joining us today. And uh, we really appreciate the holistic and the interdisciplinary insights that, uh, that you epitomize so well and that we're struggling uh, sometimes and always uh, – uh, seeking further to uh, develop uh, with the whole concept of that so third millennium. Clearly, you you knew in the second millennium that uh, we've got to do something better in the third millennium. So thank you for being among the public intellectuals that are, are leading the way forward. That's it for the interview. If you're interested in Darsha and the subjects that she discusses and works on, you can look at her university website, or you can look at her private website, darshanarvez.com, D-A-R-C-I-A-N-A-R-V-A-E-Z.com. You can find links to her books, including her two most recent books, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, as well as Ancestral Landscapes in Human Evolution. She also has a blog at Psychology Today, a very influential blog uh, talking a lot about childhood development issues, traumas, and related subject matter. If you enjoyed this episode or one of our previous episodes, please leave us a review on iTunes. iTunes is the biggest distributor of podcasts, and having reviews there will help us reach a wider audience. We would also love it if you posted your review on other services like Google Play and Stitcher as well. <laughs>